Welcome to the Bradworthy Culture Podcast, where leaders share how they've created a company so incredible their employees have to tell their friends about it. And now, here's your host, Jordan Peace. Welcome back to Bradworthy Culture. Today, we're going to be chatting with Erica McManus. Erica is the COO and co-founder of Instant Teams and the Instant Teams Academy. If you don't know already, Instant Teams builds high-quality customer support and operations teams for companies with military-connected talent located globally in every time zone, enabling 24-7 support. Erica found her calling in Silicon Valley in 2012 as a founding member of not one, not two, but three startups focusing on user acquisition and community growth. She's been an active duty army spouse for 19 years um, and found the mobility and freedom as a remote professional to be something she wanted to replicate for more people. So Erica, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks, Jordan. That's a fun intro to hear read back to me. So I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So 19 years involved with the military and active duty spouse. So just personally, how's that going in the midst of the pandemic? What what's changed for you? Yeah, personal life has, I think, changed for a lot of us over the past year in many ways. Actually, today is my 19th wedding anniversary. So 100% 19 years now as a military couple. But Congratulations. 12 moves in 19 years and actually just made that 12th move literally a mile down the street this past weekend. So constantly on the move, constantly changing. And yeah, really our family dynamic, it took a good three months last year, a good three months just to figure it out. Husband's active duty. So still working in and out of the house, two kids home, working full time, running a remote organization. So a lot of communication, a lot of family culture, you know, culture goes everywhere, right? Not just the workplace. So that's right. We have a good foundation, so that helps. Oh, man. Well, you must. You must. You guys have made 12 moves over 19 years with kids in in tow and now virtual school, I'm sure, and all of that. That's that's a lot. So you guys, you've been doing remote work since long before it was cool, and you've been bringing remote work to the world since before it was so popular as of the last 12 months. So, so it's, I'd love to hear just as a founder, kind of your journey from your own experience to starting Instant Teams and, and how you brought this to bear to the world. Yeah, I've been working remotely in one way or another for almost 10 years now, right when my youngest was born. But previous to that, I was a government employee Again, as a military spouse, it was quote unquote easy to find a job wherever we went that was connected to NAF or MWR in the military space. But moving every two years makes any career path difficult to progress, to stay, to kind of navigate your way and like find where you fit when you're starting over every two years. So at luck of the draw, we ended up out in California around 2012 and I fell into the veteran startup space and just knew Mm -hmm. like the way my brain functioned and the things that got me excited. I was like, Oh, this is where I belong. Like no MBA, no background in business, but I knew I was like, this is where I belong and I'm going to figure it out. And that's really my first experience with remote work and which Mm. led me probably to a good six to seven years of staying at the same organizations, moving, adding on new organizations. And I was like, this is like the secret, right? Like this is what allows people to be nomadic and still have careers. So really just first and foremost, found it really successful for me, right? Was able to support myself, was able to be with the kids, but also have a strong personal career identity and bring in income. Most sure. families need dual income nowadays. So it was, you know, a really big blessing to be able to do that as well. 
And as I was discovering that, I was building teams of pods. I called them pods or talent for these startups. And they just happened to be my peers and my neighbors in the military spouse community. Hmm. And as I kept replicating that, I actually had one customer say, like, where are you keeping this hidden talent? Like, more people should know about these people. And it was like one of those light bulb moments. And I was like, there's probably a bigger business solution here, not only for businesses, but for wow. a community that needs remote work. So hmm. kind of where it all started to snowball into what is now Instant Teams. Wow. And and so how long ago was that? And then tell me about kind of the executive team who's involved alongside you. Yeah. So that was about four years ago. Four okay. years ago, next month, I shot a Facebook message to who is my co-founder, the CEO of Instant Teams, Liza Rodewald. Uh, she was a software engineer at the time. And I knew that she had built and sold businesses. And right. when I had that idea of like, okay, how do we build something that brings value to companies and employs this community that we're passionate about. Yeah. Like I'm going to need a partner and I'm going to meet somebody who's like really smart on the tech side. So I pitched her the idea. She was already getting ready to launch another business. She had government mm-hmm. contracts and her own software engineering. And she was like, let's do it. I'm in. And like literally the next day we started talking about brand and MVP and just all of those things. And we haven't stopped since. So four years and we've grown to now, a team of 43 that run the company with us daily. Yeah. And we have almost 350 remote team members across the globe. So big wow. growth scale over the past four years. Wow. And and you told me recently that you are kind of in growth mode now. So what does that look like as you're bringing on, like how, how many people do you think you're bringing on month to month now or in the next 12 months, let's say? Yeah, we hit a really big growth spike in November and okay. kind of continued on that trajectory. Whether, like you said, you mentioned earlier, we we were remote before COVID and doing fine, right? Like growing at a really good pace. Sure. I think the past year has taught people, oh, maybe there is like a risk management and a, a retention quality to having remote teams who love mm. what they do and who are mm. engaged and trained. So we have seen benefit from that. It's in a time where a lot of businesses have struggled, it's been amazing to see the value that we bring. And we're employing people, right? Like we've employed 150 people this year that previously weren't. And so wow. in an era of huge unemployment, any little piece of bringing some financial stability into houses, oh, yeah. it really just drives what we do on a daily basis. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that feels really good to, to not only to bring those people onto your team for the benefit of the company, but also just knowing that you're providing that in their lives in this really unique time. So do you think that the, you kind of mentioned this, but the pandemic, has that sort of opened things up geographically? Are there just folks that are kind of looking, more people looking for remote work than before? And what did it look like prior versus now in terms of like, how you tapped into pools of, of talent? Yeah, so we have a dual-sided service. We're serving customers, but we're also employing. So we have to build a talent pipeline and we have to build service for customers. The sure. pipeline piece has not been the bigger struggle, I think, in any any startup or company, right? Like, it's who's going to buy it, who's going to... It's, it's the customer sales side. Sure. I mean, people organically have wanted remote work for a while. If anything, right. this year has just turned that faucet on a little bit harder, mm. but especially in with our mission driven to assist the military spouse community, remote work is just the solution, right? People know that and it's not for everybody. And we sure. do a lot of conversations and assessments about, is it right for you or not? It's more the customer side. It's more organizations and companies. Everybody was forced and either you 
were forced and successful or you were forced and like, okay, that didn't work. Now, how do we rebuild or like what is out there to actually make sure we don't drop the ball because our people can't come to a building. So there's been a lot of opportunity for us in helping organizations either rescale or rebuild into completely remote customer support and operational teams. Yeah. I mean, I I guess for those of us that ran organizations where we were meeting in person mostly, right? You guys were well ahead of everybody else and kind of preparedness for this. But even 12 months in, I think a lot of companies are still struggling to figure a few things out. So I'd love to hear just what advice you would give on kind of supporting people and getting to know them and showing care for them when you don't get to just pull up and have coffee with them on a regular basis, if ever. Yeah, we have always been remote. We've never had a brick and mortar. Liza and I as co-founders have never lived in the same place in four years. So that has been, we've by nature had to come up with ways to communicate and team build and grow teams, or we wouldn't have been where we were pre-COVID. Sure. But even though that foundation was there, I mean, we got hit hard last March, April with just quality of life, right? Like Mm, majority of our team members are female, like 94% are female, 96% are military spouses. So Mm. normal, stressful, hard life dynamics, right? Boom, COVID hits new stress levels added on top of that. So we did still kind of hit us a little, a week of like, all right, we need to be sure everybody's okay before we driving business. And we did that. And we did that very intentfully. We brought in an outside survey expert and we kind of did some pulse checks, did a lot more like, Hey, do you need to talk? We did some one-on-one sent out Mm -hmm. cookies and brownies to people. I mean, you know, just any of those things like, Mm -hmm. Hey, we're all here together. We'll figure this out. Yeah. Um, Some people went into like a job sharing mode where if they were working full time and they needed to cut back, we allowed that. And we just figured it out what that needed to look like for each individual person. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there was still a lot of reaction to the situation, but I think ultimately successful because we didn't have all of our processes and SOPs were already remote. Our communication flows were remote. Our daily check-ins were remote. So we didn't struggle on that side of the house. Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. So there's still a difference between working remote and working remote when you also can't go out to restaurants and see friends and oh yeah you yeah. know like have a normal life so the the stressors i'm sure from either a mental health standpoint or, or just managing a stress level is the same regardless yeah. but we pay a lot of attention to introverts versus extroverts so i'm mm. an introvert and to be very honest the last year has mental health wise, I'm kind of been fine. Like I love to be in my house and I love to only talk to people that I select to talk to and kind of like my thing, but people who work remotely, who are extroverts, who need that energy from other people, definitely been a challenging year. So a lot of just open conversation about just how people are feeling and kind of the mental health status of all of that. Yeah. Being a founder and a COO, right, not not a CPO or a head of talent or HR or a lot of the folks that I'll typically talk to, I'm curious when your team goes into that mode of like that first week of COVID, for example, where it's like, we need some new ideas, we need some more effective ways to facilitate relationships between people or, or whatever the goal is. Who's involved in those conversations just organizationally and what's the decision-making process look like? Yeah, as a COO, I'm very heavy on the 
people culture side, right? Like yeah. I always laugh, like someday when it's my choice to choose a new title, I'll become CHRO or, you know, chief people okay. officer. Yeah. Just by nature of where Liza and I started, like we kind of gravitated to those operational CEO sides of the house. But sure. being that our teams are unique, so we have a people operations team, we have HR, but our customer success teams deliver people. Our product mm-hmm. are people. And our teams. people, right. So our People programming is very like multi-department layered and Mm -hmm. we have team success positions and team success programming and, you know, all of the the flow charts of how that works between departments. But a lot of that comes just from our department leaders, right? We have very strategic conversations. I still do a lot of like the bigger vision of like building out benefits programs for remote Mm -hmm. culture where Mm -hmm. Fringe came in uh, at a great time and a great opportunity for us there. And just the bigger vision for like where Instant Teams is going and how we want to build healthy remote teams. Because really at the end of the day, if our teams are engaged and they stay, that also creates a better environment for our customers who will be happy and stay. So it's very intentful, right? Like everybody has to feel engaged. Everybody has to feel successful. That doesn't mean it happens all the time. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of opportunity for improvement and change and all of those things that successful teams go through in iteration over and over and over again. But it's a, it's a full really department leader company effort. We do sure. a lot of pulse checks, a lot of open conversation, like what's working right now, what's not. I just did something kind of off the cuff two weeks ago. I just called it freeze. It sounds really silly and simple, but it was like just a Slack message is like, all right, everybody stop. Send me the top three things that you don't see working without thinking about it. Like just spill it, like just this quick, like pulse check. That's and great. I was blown away by what I got back. Like things I'm like, wow, I wish somebody would have told me that three months ago, right? Like, but also remembering go, 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 go. Like sometimes you do just have to stop and get that from people. So it's a lot of, a lot of layers of it. Like I don't think there's one, one size fits all. It's kind of an ongoing, but what I do say, somebody has to enjoy that part of it. Like I get very energized and excited in my introverted self when I talk about these things. Yeah. Some people don't care and that's fine. It's not their job. So every organization has to have somebody who loves this kind of conversation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I wrote down freeze on a sticky note. <laughs> yeah, I'll send you, I'll send you the Slack. I'll send you what I Please wrote. Please do. Yeah. I'm stealing that one. That's good. <laughs> I like that because it's just right in the moment. It's a surprise. Yep. You, know, you might get some candid answers that if they had time to filter and think that you, it may sound different. Yeah. No, I think dude, that's a wonderful idea. That's kind of the ultimate pulse check. So you guys have been both hiring and providing kind of remote talent for a long time, but for the rest of us, it's new, or for most of the rest of us, it's relatively new. So I'd love to hear now that working remotely is not going to be such novelty anymore, right? That's pretty clear. How do we go about, and not I hate to ask you to give away your trade secrets here, but how do we go about when it comes to full-time hires and so forth, how do we go about recruiting and and differentiating ourselves from other companies outside of just saying, hey, you can work remote? Like everybody can say that now almost, right? So what for you, what has been the part of your culture or the experience of working for Instant Teams that's kind of really jumped out and, and I think captured the hearts and minds of those that apply and they end up, they end up jumping in? Yeah, it's really the brand, right? It's the brand equity in the space for us. We are mission driven. So we've been very boots on the ground in the military community. That's very niche, right? Not everybody's going to be targeting a specific community like that. 
but it's the brand, right? What do people feel when they see you on social? What do people, how do Mm -hmm. people assess you? Like with access to so much information, people do their own due diligence now, right? Right. Like they're doing as much resume background searching on you as, as you do on them. So the brand is really like people assume that you build that for customers, but really there's as much effort in that that should be for who Mm. you want to be working for you and and how you want them to come to you and how you want them to be prepared. One of my favorite companies that I look at a lot is is Basecamp, not Mm. so much for their product or technology, which is all great, but I don't know if, again, geeky moment, if you've ever read the Basecamp employee handbook, it's totally online and accessible, but how they write and how they position everything to work there as a remote employee is like top notch, like really great examples of how you write and how you put your information out there for people to find it in a remote capacity. That's really great point. And that's, that's something that's a little bit of a soapbox for me. I'll try not to get on it, but this idea of brand and, and sort of separating the idea of, yes, we have a consumer brand, right? And that's what our customers say about us. And it's what we say about ourselves on our ads and all of that, right? But we also have an employer brand, right? And that's, that's what they're going to do the due diligence on and find out what's on Glassdoor and what a former employee said and, and so forth. And yeah, I think you're right. It's, it's the writing style and, and it's everything that goes into that employer brand that's so so vital to attracting the right people because it's one thing to attract people that's great but you really want to attract the right people and in order to attract the people that are going to fit we got to be transparent about who we actually are as an organization right otherwise people kind of come in and they're like "Ooh, i thought you were that and you're actually this and they're not going to stick around you know Yeah, and it's been, a, it's been a challenge for us there because we have our internal team, which, right, you recruit and you hire for certain types of people to fit that. Yeah. Then we also build teams for customers who might have specific leadership or personality. So right. some of that is in, in our vetting and in our the software and the technology, but it's just ongoing, right? Like right people, right place. How do you do that? And brand an employer, employee brand is sometimes even harder to control outward facing because- oh, yeah. Nobody leaves great glass door reviews because nobody thinks about it until something doesn't go well. And in startups, right. that just happens. And that's when you get the reviews that don't sound so great. Right. <laughs> so things happen. It's, it's constant. Yeah. And you just got to yeah. stay up and up, keep improving, keep making sure that you're doing what's right. And right. it is. It's a big challenge. Yeah. If it were more commonplace for your current employees, internal, right? to get on something like a glass door and leave a review, right? Like the, the ones that are enjoying, you know, what would be the nicest possible thing that an employee could say about your organization? Yeah, I actually, it's not public, but I had some feedback the other day and I was like, this is it. Like, this is why we are doing this. Yeah. And it was the person just slacked to say, hey, I've never felt included or allowed to be who I am in a workplace. And within 20 seconds of being here, I saw somebody using pronouns and knew without talking to anybody that I was allowed to be who I was. And I was like, huh. that's it. Right. So like wow. a place to feel like you can thrive and grow and be who you are is like yeah. ultimate for me, because then people just bring their best selves every mm. single day. You know, a lot of probably better revenue driven responses to that question. But for me, like that was it. Like, hey, if you can be here and do a job that you love and feel like you can be you in every way, then like, 
I've done my job. <laughs> yeah, that's going to reflect not only in how long they stay and how many friends they recruit to the organization, and but it's going to reflect in how they treat customers and each other. And yeah. yeah, I mean, when you feel at home and you feel safe and like you can just be you, I mean, yeah, that's hard to beat. That's yeah, I, it is. It really is. Yeah, I'm right there with you. That that would be a fantastic thing to hear from from any employee. That's awesome. So. Tell me a little bit more, you know, leaning into the culture topic. What are some of the the kind of the features of your culture that if I were to read your employee handbook or if I were to apply for a job, what would be in every post, every listing, every career page? What is it? What does it sound like? At least as much as you can control. Yeah. One of the first things that Liza and I ever wrote, like before we even hired our first HR person, who was our very first hire outside of Liza and I was we called it an ethos for mindful communication. And it sounds very wordy, but I get a little wordy. I like words. I like to write. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> but we discovered, it's, I think, as foundationally a remote team that communication had to be 100% intentful and mindful, mm. which I think any successful company has to layer that in. But when you're remote, it just has to be. Otherwise, you're never going to talk to each other, right? So like, why do we talk about what we talk about? When do we talk about certain things? Right. How do we address hard topics? And so we really had to like put that in writing, like something that people could consume before they experienced it. So they just understood how we did that in instant teams. And that's evolved tremendously as a team of two to now 350 and broken out into different tiers, right? Like department leaders amongst each other, internal team, remote team members to their team leads. So like it's become like all of these different processes, but it still has been a foundational piece. And I think that's cool. Like the first thing that we ever created as founders has, has been a stable piece of how we've grown over time. And a lot of that is just, you can see it, right. It's like executable communication things, like whether it's Mm. programming on Slack, whether it's channels that we create like a wellness channel and we have somebody that does yoga and meditation and you can join it if you want. So like those culture pieces outside of the daily work that people are showing up to doing and layering it in there, those other like recognition, like I'm not super driven by outward recognition, but people are right. And so as a founder, you got to forget, you got to remember that not everybody's like you, like people, you know, started to say things like, wow, nobody ever thanks me for my work. And I think that's dangerous for founders because most people don't thank founders for their work and you kind of got to just be the kind of person who can crank it out and like do it no matter what but you can't expect that from your employees you can't expect that from your team so right very like ears open to that feedback loop of what are people needing yeah how can we build that should we build that has really served us well over the four years and just seeing Mm. what people are saying like if three people say the same thing more than once you know, that's probably like next thing on the task list to develop or create. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody is just so different. And the more people we bring on our team, the more I realize, and it's not, it's not only the diversity of race and and gender. Oh yeah. No. I mean, it's just, you could from the outside assume two people are very, very similar. And yet the way they feel appreciated or understood or cared for totally different. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned something really just kind of in passing that, that caught my attention. You said something about, does someone hold a yoga class or something like that, that folks can, so is this a peer to peer within the organization or is this bringing in outside vendors to do that kind of thing? 
So we've done both. When we first started, we were like bringing in outside vendors to do like a scheduled yeah. Zoom class, which worked when it was like seven people. But when you have 300 plus people in different time zones, like right. I can't hire a 24 seven yoga instructor. That'd be awesome. Maybe someday we can. Maybe. Yeah. So now it's like my social media and digital lead is actually who runs our, we call it you first. So it's hashtag you first Slack channel and it's huh. wellness minded. It's a place to kind of take a break. He posts yoga videos or meditation streams, like different yeah. things. Sometimes it's just about baking or cooking. It's just kind of like the mental break, like Very putting cool. you first, like what's important to you getting to know each other. So yeah, it's like a whole programmatic piece of what we do on Slack. That's awesome. I've not heard something exactly like that. That's really Yeah, good. yeah. I was going to ask you about the impact of the fact that people are have been stuck inside and not had much of a social life and so forth. How are you, kind of like the freeze moment that you brought up, like how are you interrupting their probable tendency to overwork right? To be a little glued to the screen and to their email, et cetera. How do you, how do you remind them to live? Yeah. Again, different ways for like the different types of teams that we have, like directly with my department leaders during performance evaluations, like, have you walked today? Have you like, we right. have those very like heartful conversations. Like I see your Slack green on at 10 PM. Like, what are you doing at 10 PM? <laughs> Knowing that people have autonomy to work when they need to, right. That's a part of why we work remotely, but especially when you like what you do and you like the people, like it is, you can just work straight through, especially when we have people in all time zones. So like we are a 24 seven operation. It's just reminding people like, Hey, and I even said this I, last week on a performance value, just like, I may be important and your job may be important and instant teams is important, but your family and your kids and dog, like they're more important. Yeah. They just are. And reminding people and not feeling afraid to say those types of things, like at a very human interactive level because you know you never know like when that's going to help somebody realize they need to oh yeah maybe I do need to go take a walk with my family it's been six months and then sometimes you know just like the fun programming things like we've done virtual pizza parties this year we did a virtual campfire ghost story s'mores thing like so funny silly things where people are like oh that's really corny but you know they leave like that was so much fun like that was totally cool (laughs) yeah Yeah, I mean, in a sense, we've had to be one another's community more than ever before because there's been such a loss of community with family and friends and folks that are kind of geographically present in our lives. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. It's it's hard to call that a work-life balance or even a work-life blend. It's just, there's just life you know, and work is a part of that and coworkers are a part of it. And and sometimes a, d- a deeper part of it, I would think, especially yeah. right now. Yeah. And the military community adds even a more, a deeper layer of that. Like we're used to walking into situations where we don't know anybody and building community right away. Right. We know mm. how to do that. So when you add in remote work, plus the past year, plus the military, like tendency just to build community, like you can realize like, oh, wait, people at Institute Teams are the only people I talk to inside and outside of work. Like maybe I need to expand my horizon. <laughs> <bit> so <laughs> there's, it's like right. a fine edge sort of like culture is what everybody strives for. Right. And when you mm. have it working, it's great, but you do have to realize like it shouldn't be the only thing that you're involved in, in your daily life. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm sure that's, I'm sure that's incredibly difficult at this unique time. 
I would just love to hear any other sort of policy or it could be vacation, could be a benefit, could be policy program, anything else that I wouldn't know about that's just unique to your organization that you guys, maybe you've offered it for four years, but what's something unique that might be a takeaway for those that listen, especially those that are kind of building their culture now, deciding on things like comp and benefits for the first time, you know, what's, what's something you might want to share about that? Without, I mean, free plug here, but Fringe has been a really, yeah, really cool opportunity because we are remote. People have their own personalities. They have their own things that they like. So being able just to give like free cash to let people spend where they want in a remote environment, like best year ever for that. So that's number one. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't pay her for that. Or <laughs> no. <on> that. <laughs> As I said, totally free plug as I really, I really (laughs) believe in that. The next one is there's a lot of cool things you can do in the remote workspace with like leave and permissive leave, unlimited permissive leave when sabbatical, like we just found actually that even though we are an unlimited permissive leave company, like internal team, our remote team members have to work a little bit differently because of scheduling, but people don't use it. Like right. people don't use it. Like, and, and it's, you have to take two hours off to go to a doctor's appointment. Fine. That's great. Flex it out. Like that's just how we work. Everything is always done. People are working when they're supposed to, right. but they're not taking leave. So we actually just last month, like reversed in a one week sabbatical that you have to take consecutively. I'm like, now we're like forcing people to take a week of paid leave. Right. <laughs> Which is cool that you have to like reverse engineer that out to make yeah. people take leave. But I love that. I think that's very family centric. It's very life centric. Like we all want jobs. We all want to be able to provide income, but how do you do everything else that you need to do in your daily life? Yeah. Yeah. It's ironic. I've heard the unlimited leave thing can, can unintentionally lead to kind of like a shame culture or just somebody's taking a trip and it's like, Oh, must be nice. You know? (laughs) And, but, you can almost engineer the opposite. Just like, oh, we will shame you if you don't take leave. <laughs> you know? like, yeah, and I've, I've had to do that. Like, you're having knee surgery. No, you can't just check emails and like, right. you're, you're on Percocet. Please leave. Like, <laughs> Don't email anybody. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't email anybody. So yeah, it is. It's, it's fun. Like, I love the challenge of it. I love the opportunity mm-hmm. just to build that and provide that. Something that we do that's fun and it's not really policy is, and this was not my idea. This was our first people operations hires idea is we call it like a user manual, mm-hmm. but it's each individual person. And so it's kind of this document that you attach to your Slack profile as a link. So it's like, what kind of candy you like, what your favorite shows are like a user manual to who I am. Because when you work remotely, you don't, everybody uses the water cooler example, but you know, you don't just hang out at a lunch table and get to know each other. So it's just kind of a cool place to know, like somebody new comes on the team. It's a part of their onboarding, create your user manual, put it on your Slack. So you can like click and see, Oh, they like this. I like that. Or this is their hobby, that type of thing. So that's just kind of a fun, again, small culture building piece, but just gives people accessibility to each other very easily. Yeah, that's a great idea. That is the third thing that I wrote down on a sticky note <laughs> in my own organization. So, so if if nothing else, I appreciate what I'm learning today. <laughs> that's really great. I, you know, I think about the user manual would also be so helpful. And you know, if you wanted to send somebody a gift, 
you yep. know, or say happy birthday or, or whatever. I mean, that's, that's so, that's so interesting. I love that. All right. We're, we're stealing that for sure. <laughs> so speaking to the young entrepreneur, let's say they're at a stage where they hit that first growth moment. They're going from founders to first hire, first five, 10 hires. Outside of what you shared around the intentional language and kind of how you write and communicate, what can young entrepreneurs do to stay focused on the bottom line, stay focused on sales, say all that good stuff and make the investors happy and, and so forth? But how do you at the same time build a sustainable business from a standpoint of who you bring in and the tone that you set. You guys brought an HR person first hire, you know? I mean, awesome move, risky move that I love and applaud, but like, why was he or she the right hire? Yeah, so the two sides of that conversation, one, Anne was the first hire in HR because we knew we were building a people business, right? Like we, and we were gonna have to do it in multiple states because we, serve people who are nomadic. So like we knew foundationally, like we needed to start building that before we could go after customers. We had to have a foundation. So that was our kind of like strategic thought process there. Yeah, makes sense. This may not be the typical answer, but especially for founders, self-awareness and having an ability to have emotional intelligence, Mm. you can't hire people to fill in your gaps if you don't know what you're good at and what you're not good at. And you're also okay not being good at everything. And I've seen that stump people and fail people over and over again in my past 10 years in the startup space. And I've seen how it works really well for Liza and I to be very acutely aware of who do we need and when, because there's a gap or there's something Mm -hmm. we're not experts in or something we're just not good at. And we shouldn't be good at because there is somebody out there who is good at it That's right. and not having ego laced in there. And I think that's the hardest thing for founders, right? Because it's your business, it's your company, you're the one reporting to the investors or it's all you and it can't be all you if you don't have the right people. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of growth involved in that. It's not easy. It's not natural for a lot of people, Right. but I really do think, the companies who are successful from like first hire to scale are the ones that can easily assess that. Yeah. I was going to ask you, and then you brought it up, if that's a kind of a pride issue, mostly, you know, is it a need for humility mostly that you think keeps people from being self-aware, which I would think just struggle and life would kind of kick that out of them. Right. But what, what else is there? Do you think that kind of prevents us from, seeing our gaps and being willing to not be good at everything. And like, are there, are there resources or ways that you've grown in that emotional intelligence or that you would point people towards to learn? Cause I think it's a fantastic point. I have think ego and pride is like a huge one. It's natural. Everybody's got it, which is good to a certain point. Like, again, right. like the whole, nobody recognizes or congratulates the founder. So there's like a part of it where you got to be able to drive yourself. Right. I think fear a lot of times too, like when you do do it all, or you think you have the whole vision, Mm -hmm. taking on somebody that you don't know initially, like you may have taken them through an exhaustive hiring process, but you still don't trust them because you don't know them. And that's a risk, right? So yeah, fear is a big part of that. And so you can SOP and process fear to a certain point to where you just have to trust the process and know it works and it doesn't. So there's, I mean, it's hard. There's a lot of 
personal learning growth that happens along the way. Yeah. Personally, like I've read a lot of like Simon Sinek and Brene Brown, like kind of got to get in your own head and know what you're yeah. good at and know what you're not good at and what triggers you and like what panics you and all of those things. So yeah. it's, right. And that takes, that also takes slowing down and setting yeah. some tasks aside in order to think and self-assess and all of that. Even, even to read the books in the first place, you know, take some, I got to get off my email, right? Yeah. Stop making sales calls. Yeah, I think the biggest example of Liza and I doing that is when we first started, I had the CEO title and she was CTO. Okay. And that was just because like, well, I pitched the initial idea, so I must be the CEO, right? And right. she's a software engineer, so she must be the CTO, right? Like baby, very like baby founder thought process. Right. And about a year in, we realized like just how Liza naturally thinks how she drives is just so mm-hmm. customer centric. Like she can just talk that mm-hmm. talk and walk that walk. Like she was a better CEO than I was. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of, we've told that to investors or seven people are like, wow, that's, that doesn't happen very often, right? Like people don't switch titles, but right. with our family dynamics and building this, like we're later thirties, early forties, like yeah. we just got to make this work, right? There's no ego that's here. Nice. We are here giving our valuable time in our lives to make something work. And so there is no ego. We just got to be sure we're doing it right. And it's building. So yeah, children will knock the ego out of you. Real <laughs> <Yeah. fast. laughs> I, know, I know from experience, it's like, I, I don't care what my title is. Yeah. I don't care what I have to do day to day. I just want this to work. You know? <laughs> that is exactly, that's like a hidden motto. <laughs> right, whatever it takes. Oh, man, that's really great. And, and I think that's fantastic advice for young entrepreneurs. And I hope those that are listening, take that to heart and really just understand it's not about you. It's really not. And I'm curious, just maybe it would help to alleviate some of the fear. Do you have an experience where you just, you just hired the wrong person? Did you ever get one wrong that was close to you? I know with 350 people, I'm sure you have, but you may not know them personally, but have you ever gotten any wrong where you just went, wow, like that, (laughs) I thought I was right. I wasn't. And then, and then what happened and how did you kind of recover? Yeah, for sure. I mean, in four years, I can, I mean, as far as like internal team or like hires, like it's happened two or three times. And I will say at the end of the day, the skill set or the experience was always there. It was culture that was not aligned. And that will kill the opportunity every single time. Yeah. And it's not that you did anything wrong. It's not even that you made a wrong decision, right? Because you only are empowered with so much information when you bring people in. So do it, have a process to it, but just know it's not always going to be the exact right situation. And that's okay because you will have learned exactly who you don't want again. Right. And it may have just been given to you as a learning opportunity so that when it the time does come for it to be the right person, mm. you're going to know exactly who you need. And I think that's the hardest part to learn. Like right. you know, very cliche sayings, like you learn from failure and all those things, but yeah. when you're on the other side, you're like, oh, that's so true. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, I, I try to teach my daughter that on a daily basis. You play a board game, she loses, she and she loses her mind. Yeah. Like, the game board behind right, you. Exactly. It's like, hey, th- this is actually good for you. You know, <laughs> like you need to lose. Yeah. No, but I, I was hoping you would say something like that because <laughs> I, I think what I've realized is you want to have a process and you want to be as smart as you can about hiring folks. But at the same time, if someone comes in and it's a bad fit, 
you don't have to keep them till the end of time. It's it's not a record. Like we we fire people in business. It happens, and it's not the cardinal sin of business. It's okay. And typically, when that's happening, they know that it didn't fit either. And yeah. and so you know, I, I, my point is, I think the encouragement to young founders making those first few hires, where you're just like, oh my gosh, I need them to be the right person, like. It's okay if you miss one now and then. Yeah. You're not stuck until yeah. the end of time. So now that's fantastic. Well, really great answer. Great answers all the way around today, Erica. And to just really enjoy learning from you. I have two or three sticky notes full of things that, that I personally took down to incorporate in my organization. And I'm sure that those listening have learned a great deal as well. So thank you so much for for being on the podcast. Thank you. I love this kind of conversation. Like I said, I probably get more excited about it than the average person, but it's why I do what I do. No, I totally understand it. Those are the kind of folks I want to interview. And happy anniversary, by the way. I caught that 19th year today. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening to Bragworthy Culture, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.